Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Practicing the Way, the Prayer Practice. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody here in the room and those of you who are gathered online. You know, as I begin this last message in this series on prayer, I want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, last week, I think most of you know, uh, if you get our newsletter, that uh, my family traveled to Tennessee to, to celebrate Cynthia's father's life. He had passed away after 101 great years, and so we, we had a great celebration, brought the family together. But we asked for your prayers, and, and God answered those prayers in so many ways. So thank you so much for your prayers for our family during that challenging and and that hard time. Today, we're going to look at the idea that prayer can consist of just being with God. Just being with him. If If you're familiar with the Psalms, the 46th Psalm has some familiar verses. It begins, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, that's quite comforting, and the psalmist reminds us that we don't have to fear anything as we read through it. Not earthquakes, nor when mountains crumble, not storms or hurricanes when the seas roar and the waters surge. We don't have to fear when nations are in chaos or when kingdoms fall apart, the words of the psalmist go on to tell us in the next verses that God is in control. Now, I think as we just think about recent days, weeks, and months of history that we have witnessed, those are comforting words. But then the psalmist drops this sobering truth on us from the very mouth of God. Despite what is going on in the world, this is what God says to us. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that God Almighty is still God. He is still on this throne. He is still in charge, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what the news cycle is playing, regardless of what's happening, God is still on his throne. So just be still and be with God. So when we believe in God, and when we enter into a relationship with God, starting to know God, talking to God, pursuing that relationship, listening to him as he speaks through his word and through the nudging of the Holy Spirit, as we pursue God, sometimes the best way for us to pray is just to sit in God's presence, to, to be still and to know that God is in control. And As I say that, you know, I think some of us would wrestle with how to do that. So like any significant relationship that we have with a person, it's going to require that we embrace some things, maybe some routines that cause our relationship with God to flourish, even in that time that we spend with him in that stillness. So I want to give you three biblical 
routines, you could say, that would help us. And the, and the first one is this. It's persistence. Sometimes when we read the Bible, I, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I, I miss some of the little details. But once those details are revealed to me and when they're revealed to us, we have a whole new view on things. For instance, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 tells us a supernatural story of Peter's escape from prison after he's been arrested. Now, we see in that story that he was arrested by King Herod's soldiers because he was a Christian, because he was going out and telling people about Jesus. But not only was he arrested, when you read the story, it becomes clear that King Herod planned to have him executed the very next day. But while he is arrested, while he's in prison, something else is going on. The Bible tells us this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. At that time in history, followers of Jesus, the church in general, followed a regular rhythm of gathering for prayer three times a day in the morning at noontime and in the evening. So having heard about Peter's arrest, the next time the Christians gathered to pray, they started praying for the deliverance of Peter from his execution date. And it would appear that the church, they didn't gather in a church building, they didn't exist at that time. So they gathered in someone's house and they prayed long into the night. And God heard their prayers and God did the miraculous. He unlocked, unlocked the shackles on Peter's wrist. He guided Peter out through two sets of armed guards and he unlocked the door to the jail so he could leave and go back to his friends and his family. And we read that from there, Peter did go back to that house where the followers of Jesus were gathered and were still praying. And, and when he knocked on the door and they finally let him in, everyone rejoiced because their prayers had been answered when he entered. As one author writes, that's the headline. It's the story everybody remembers from Acts chapter 12. And it's a good one. But he goes on and he says, I'm not interested in the headline. I'm caught up in the subtext. And this is the part that we often overlook. What's, let me tell you what he's talking about. It's that detail that gets overlooked by the miraculous answer to prayer. And we find it in the first three verses of chapter 12. So let me read them to you. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. James was executed by King Herod for also being a follower of Jesus. Herod had James executed, and because he got such a positive response from the people for doing this, he set out to do the very same thing to Peter. And so here's the tension. James is arrested and he becomes a martyr for Christ. He's executed. And Peter is arrested and miraculously delivered. The, the miraculous story of the persistent prayers of the church that led to Peter's deliverance makes the highlight reel that is replayed throughout history. While James' martyrdom seems to just be accepted and forgotten. 
But think about it. Since we know that the church gathered three times a day to pray, they had to have gathered and prayed for James' release. At some point, they all knew that James was in prison. And after all, when we read about Peter and his release and how they prayed for him through the night, it's safe to think that they also did the same thing, that the church prayed all night for James' release just like they did for Peter's release. And I believe they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until they were given the horrific news that James had been executed. So what happened? Why did God answer the prayers for Peter's safe release and not answer the prayers for James? Here's my honest response to that question. I can't tell you why God answered the prayers for Peter to be released and not answered the prayers for James' release. I don't know the full mind of God, but I do know this, that God heard those prayers for both disciples. I know that God's plan and God's will for our lives and this world is something that we're not privy to in our lifetimes, maybe not forever. I believe God answers all our prayers. Sometimes he answers them with a yes. Sometimes he answers them with a no. And sometimes he answers them with a wait, with a wait and see. And I have to trust that God loves us all and that he's in control and that he has a bigger plan than I can see with my limited human eyesight. But Acts chapter 12 is more than just a historical story about the brutality of King Herod, who had James martyred and tried to do the same to Peter. That's not exactly what the lesson is about. It's a lesson about the church. And it's a lesson that we need to see and that we need to embrace. You see, the church prayed and they prayed and their prayers for James were unanswered. Evil prevailed. James was executed. But devastated and demoralized as they were, those followers of Jesus did not stop praying in the face of unanswered prayers, in the face of receiving a no with regards to James' life. They persisted in prayer. They kept praying. And that's the lesson for us that we need to continue to persist in prayer. Now think about this. To be in a relationship with God is going to require that we persist. We have to persist in communicating in prayer no matter what. So let me make a comparison that every single one of us can relate to. We've all been children. We've all lived life as a child. And every single one of us has had a relationship with our parent or a step-parent. And from birth, we were very dependent on our parents. But as we grew, we became more independent. But in those first decades of our lives, there were many things that we needed and that we wanted that we couldn't provide for ourselves. And so we asked our parents to provide those things for us. Sometimes our parents responded with a yes. Sometimes our parents responded with a no. And sometimes our parents responded with a wait. And, you know, the, the yes answer certainly reinforced our connection with our parents. But what about when our parents gave us a no or a let's wait? Did that destroy the relationship with our parents? 
Did the children leave their parents because they said no? Of course not. Now, depending on the age of a child, there may have been uh, uh, a temper tantrum. There may have been tears. Uh, There may have been anger, even arguing because they didn't like or agree with their parents' answers. But the relationship was never severed. They continued to communicate and be in that relationship. They continued to persist in that relationship in communicating with their parents. We see there a model for how we need to persist with our heavenly parent, our heavenly father. So my point is obvious. Our relationship with God needs us to persistently pursue God in prayer, even when the answer is no or not yet. You know, we need to remember this, that God is persistently pursuing us. And so we need to persistently pursue God in response. So being with God, being in relationship with God, just spending time alone, even as the psalm said, just being still and knowing that God is God is going to require us to persist because in this crazy connected world that we live in connected electronically there are so many things that can distract us and so we're going to need to persistently pursue God even in stillness and quiet so being in that relationship with God requires us to persist in communication it's also going to require that we embrace a routine of fidelity Fidelity. In his book, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools, Tyler Stanton tells the story of the woman caught in adultery from John chapter 8 to illustrate the, the tension of fidelity. And he jumps right into the story, retelling it in this jarring way. So I want to share his way. Her tear, he, he tear, excuse me, he tears her out of bed and marches her with a fistful of hair knotted in his clenched right hand to the town square where he throws her down in front of the temple steps. The whole place falls silent. A woman lying face down in the dirt at Jesus' feet. A few minutes ago, the adulterous woman was entangled in the web of a double life. The affair picked up where she had left it the day before, only today... The thrill of infidelity was interrupted by the presence of an unwanted third party. A priest had walked in on them, caught them in the act. The same priest who created the moment of disgrace also broke the silence. The law says she deserves the death penalty. She has to be stoned. What do you say? He was forcing Jesus, the self-proclaimed rabbi, to take a stand between the people and the law of Judaism. It was a brilliant equation, a perfect trap. The woman was lying there, wrapped in nothing but the thin top sheet from her lover's bed, cheek pressed against the dirt. The carefree thrill of a few moments ago had been replaced by the heavy weight of shame that was pinning her to the ground. Her mind races. How long have they known and who else knows? It's almost time to pick up the kids. Someone will tell them or worse, they'll bring them here. They'll let them see me like this. They'll make them watch as some kind of warning. And what does it feel like to actually be stoned? Jesus doesn't respond to the priest's question. 
He stoops down and he starts to draw in the dirt with his index finger. She's close enough to hear the scraping sound of his finger running through the sand as onlookers lean in and try to make out what he's writing. Just when the silence has hung long enough that the priest is about to blurt something else out, Jesus speaks up. All right, go ahead, stone her. But whoever was, is without sin, throw the first stone. She flinches when she hears the first sound. But then she realizes they're not throwing their stones. They're dropping them. She raises her head to meet the eyes of compassion in Jesus. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Stanton goes on, he says, this is the story that she would have gone on telling forever. Her place of great shame became the place of great mercy. The very part of her story she wanted to erase or hide in the fine print at the bottom of the page became the very part of her story she'd never stop telling. That's the kind of author God is. He does not edit. He repurposes. He redeems. He turns the worst moments into the irreplaceable climatic ones. Her most obvious failure was also her greatest victory. But what would have been impossible for this woman to know, still stunned by the sudden intrusion of God's love, is that the real fight of her life had just begun. The real fight takes place every day after the trans transcendent, memorable day. I mean, the reality is this. All of us have a woman caught in adultery moment or two in our past that has profoundly reshaped us. But when it comes to the many days after that profound day, we typically find those days underwhelming and disenchanting. There are highs and lows in the spiritual life, supernatural encounters, fiery passion, healing forgiveness, loneliness, grief, existential crises. But the most common condition in many of us is a general sense of boredom. The exhilaration of our mountaintop experience wears thin after a while, and we find ourselves reluctantly dragging our feet along the narrow path behind Jesus sometimes yawning all the way. But spiritual boredom isn't necessarily a sign that we're lapsing in prayer. In fact, it can often mean that we're growing, we're maturing. The real fight of faith comes on all the ordinary days after that climactic moment because of what we all know, but are too polite to come right out and admit. Fidelity can be boring. That's right. Being faithful can be boring. And if prayer is how we pursue God and persist with God, that requires our faithfulness or our fidelity. So let me just be candid. And it's a little embarrassing for me to admit that sometimes I do find my prayer life boring. Maybe you do too. But I know it's important. 
I know that I need to persist in prayer because I know that I want to be in a faithful relationship with God. And I know that the mountaintops in my life, and I remember them and I recount them. And if you want to sit down and have a coffee sometime, I'll tell you about them. But between those mountaintops experiences, to steal a line from Pastor Eugene Peterson, there is a long obedience in the same direction. And sometimes that can feel a little boring. But scripture tells us that we need to be in a relationship with God. And and stuck in the middle of a verse in the book of Romans in chapter 12, there's this verse about some things to do. And one of the things it says is this, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. If you're going to have a relationship with anybody, you're going to have to communicate. There has to be give and take where you speak and they speak and you listen and they listen. If there's going to be a relationship over a long period of time, if you're going to be faithful friends forever, you're going to have to learn to be in a relationship. Sometimes you just be. And that's what we're talking about. Prayer is how we faithfully relate to God. And if Faithfully relating to God is important. It's how we love God. The God who is faithful to us, who calls us to be faithful in prayer. During this series of messages, we've been encouraging to join Life Group. And in the Life Group, I was introduced uh, to a Japanese theologian, Kasuki Koyama. And in his book, Three Mile an Hour God... He wrote this, love has its speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of life at three miles per hour. It is the speed in which we walk. And therefore, it is the speed that the love of God walks. Three miles an hour goes against the way we like to live. It goes against the way we like things. We want what we want, and more times than not, we want it now. Instant gratification seems to be ingrained in us. And when life slows down, we can get bored. And as we all know, when we get bored, sometimes our minds wander. And praying can be slow. And so sometimes when we pray or just be with God, our minds wander. Prayer can be a lot like plodding along. But if prayer is loving God, we have to understand that prayer is a commitment to God and we have to commit to fidelity. One step after another. Now, unfortunately, we've all heard the stories of married people who weren't committed to fidelity in their marriage. And so when things became routine, or should we say boring in their marriage, their minds and their eyes wandered. And then they found themselves being unfaithful to their spouse. So we have to guard against that. We have to pursue fidelity, not only in marriage, but obviously in our relationship with God. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who who once offered this famous piece of advice to a young couple on their wedding day. And I think it has a profound impact on how we pursue God. He said this, 
Today you are young and very much in love. And you think that your love can sustain your marriage. It can't. Let your marriage sustain your love. Let your decision to be faithful to God sustain your love commitment to God. Even if that means not knowing what to say and just being still with God and knowing that he is God. Prayer is about love. And it means it cannot be sustained on fluttery feelings, good intentions, and spontaneous moments alone. It needs a container, something like the fidelity of marriage, a set of practices or rituals within which we can let that love grow and mature and blossom. Just like in marriage, couples need to keep pursuing one another, making dates and talking to sustain the relationship. So Christ followers need to do the same thing in their relationship with God to make sure that they're growing in that relationship so that they're trusting God more today than they did yesterday. At the end of this message, I want to give you some suggested practices to do just that. So let me just recap. Being with God requires that we embrace a routine of persistence and a routine of fidelity, but it also requires that we become comfortable with another routine, the routine of stillness. Earlier, I read from Psalm 46, it says, be still and know that I am God. If you go back to the original language in Hebrew, this two-word phrase, be still, can also mean do nothing or be quiet. Being with God requires stillness where we don't do anything, where we are quiet. So what do we do in that stillness and that quiet? Interesting, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians about Moses who, when he was on the mountaintop, when he went to get the Ten Commandments, he could not gaze upon God and contemplate God without veiling his face. But then the Apostle Paul goes on writing about this, and he tells us that as believers in Jesus, we're under the new covenant, so we don't have to veil our face from God. We can actually look at God with our eyes without looking through a veil. And so this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is telling us that we can look at God's glory and we can contemplate it. We can think about the greatness of God. We can just be in awe as we think about what he has done for us and who he is and, and what that means to us. He is infinite and we are finite. He is greater than anything that we can imagine, and we are not. And he says, the more we do that, interestingly, the more we become like God, the more we become like his son, Jesus Christ. So when we contemplate the Lord, when we gaze on him in stillness, and in the quiet of our hearts and minds, as we spend time with God and consider all that he is to us, All that he has done for us, his attributes, his mercy, his love, his grace, and more, 
He is transforming us through the Holy Spirit to be more like him. And we can do this. We can do this just being in a quiet place in our homes or honestly, we can do that walking along the road if we just want to spend some time alone with God. It's not about not physically moving. It's about just being quiet and contemplating God and what he means to us. To be with God is to be persistent. To persist in pursuing him. To persist in being faithful to him. When we pursue him like that, we can still just rest in his presence and know that he is God. So I want to give you a couple of responses to this message that can usher you into that stillness. Now, it's not going to sound exactly like just being still and contemplating, but hopefully these will be practices that can usher you into that place where you can. The first one would be quite simple. The first thing I would encourage you to do when you wake up in the morning is not hop out of bed, not grab your phone and look at it, no, go, not go downstairs and make a cup of coffee, but just be still and contemplate God. Could be for a few seconds. It could be for a couple of minutes, but just contemplate him. The second thing I want to encourage you, and we talked about this a moment earlier on in the message, it's, it's that daily rhythm of prayer that the ancient church practiced, one that they absorbed from their Jewish heritage, and it's to try that daily rhythm of prayer, praying in the morning, praying at noon, praying at night. And we're not talking about hours. We're just talking about spending some time with God. So Tyler Stanton, again, he, he recommends this. He says, in the morning, just pray the Lord's Prayer. We've been praying it every week through this series. But he says, as you pray it, don't just pray what you've memorized, but add to it when it talks about the greatness of God or when it prays for other people or when it prays for your needs. Put your own prayers in there. And then he suggests this at noontime. And again, it doesn't have to be long. He says, pray for those people who are far from God, people who are not followers of Jesus that you know in your life, who are in your circumference of influence. And pray for them specifically by name. And ask God what he may want you to do as a part of answering those prayers. And then he suggests, at the end of the day, Maybe you want to do this with your family if you have family at home. Just spend a little time reviewing your day and expressing your gratitude for the things and the ways that you saw God show up and do things throughout that day. It's just a rhythm of being with God. Now, I want to close with the time of prayer, so I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come up. And, and what I want to do during this prayer time is I'm going to start off just with some silence. And I want to invite you to just sit in that silence, to, to be still and know that God is present. So it's just going to be important for you just to, to relax a little bit, maybe take a deep breath, and then exhale, and then I'll close that prayer time with some spoken prayers for us. So let's just be still and know that God is God.
Lord God, creator of the heaven and earth and all of us and everything that dwells on this earth, thank you and we praise you for being our creator. We thank you that we can communicate with us. So Lord, I pray for each one of us that we can grow accustomed to just spending time with you, to to be still in your presence persistently and faithfully and letting you speak to us, giving us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in that way and that would not only sustain us, but it would draw us closer to you and to what you want for each of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.